With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I love that theme tune because our producer outside reckons it's some like 80s like hip tune like, every week know. he says this to me. every week he gets I've never seen so someone like just dance around yeah. to this song it's from Rogers and Hammerstein powers from like the 1940s 1930s 40s yeah you know yeah. it was original a theater, theater tune and you're you know going at it like it's Club Tropicana to be fair I do that every home game after about five pints before kickoff fair enough fair enough good evening it's the West Ham evening fan show with uh, myself Aaron Paul him over there James Jones and the J-Boys back in <laughs> how are you pal very good thank you very Jack much Jack Rosser joins us in the studio we're talking all things West Ham till 9pm tonight this is your base West Ham fans you can give us a call 0208 70 558 at Love Sport Radio on Twitter gent let's look first at these uh, comments by Lady Brady uh, who says she has complete faith in new West Ham manager Manuel Pellegrini, despite uh, the club's horrendous start. The Hammers uh, are the only club yet to register a point this season, having lost their first four games. She told the Sun, we appointed a manager of the most successful career we have ever had in Manuel Pellegrini and have spent over £100 million on players he wanted that we all thought would improve the team considerably. It hasn't happened yet, but I have complete faith that things will soon start to turn our way. The most important thing is to stick together. Is that that's is that a vote of confidence? Is it just her trying to rally the troops? Is it her trying to keep the fans calm? What is it? Certainly a vote of confidence. It's, it, it definitely sounds like a vote of confidence to me. Um, we've already had one from Sullivan a couple of weeks ago, haven't we? And, and now he's and now uh, Karen Brady's come out and done pretty much the exact same thing. 
it's di- I mean in this day and age in, in modern football it's very difficult to look past that and think that you know she's she's going she's actually telling the truth there I think you know we've, we've seen it before a lot a lot of clubs it's why it's called the vote of confidence isn't it um, I, I do fear now that I mean if he were to lose to Evan at the weekend then it could be curtains for him I don't think it'll be that soon I think I mean like she said no peace for the sun the amount of money they've spent the amount they've committed to they have to be brave and and let it work there's there's no sign from any of the the squad that I think the precedent for this and press conferences I've been in with with Manuel Pellegrini already the questions are already being asked you know Frank De Boer got sacked after four games I was just about to mention that Frank, Frank De Boer divided the changing room the second he walked into Crystal Palace there were cliques here and there people that were you know not well yeah probably sucking up to him to try and get some play time that hadn't been there before that maybe didn't deserve time from when they've been there before um he didn't have the change room there's no sign of that as of yet at West Ham which is the most important thing from a manager that everyone buys into him and speaking to people around the club you know he's not the sort of manager that goes in all guns blazing and is screaming and shouting work 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 you know mm. Moyes wasn't quite that far but Moyes placed a, a lot of the emphasis on running and because you know this time maybe not this time a bit later into the season last year every week was all oh, Slavin your, your team don't run do they it was all running statistics so Moyes had to go in there and do that Pellegrini's a bit different he's a bit calmer but when he speaks everyone listens because he has that aura and he has that record so I think but that's the key does, thing how long does that last for him? Well, this it's is tough question, because of the it? games that are coming up I think the, the one game of the of the opening ones I mean losing at home to Wolves is never good but it was, it was last minute which you still can't excuse them defending for it but that happens it's just unfortunate it's happened the one real problem for them was Bournemouth mm. that was that was the main problem but again it's the first time game of the season you want to see a bit more than you saw there but the the real problem now going forward is the run of games they've got it's, it's difficult it's Everton Chelsea Manchester United then I think Brighton and Brighton then Tottenham away. Brighton away as well I mean, we've Which already seen what night. Brighton can do at home they've already beaten Man United so it, it, it doesn't look good for him it doesn't look good for him I've, I mean I do agree with, with Karen Brady in that you, you've got I think we should be sticking with him sticking by him um, she, you know she does say that it takes time for a team to gel um, but he's had all pre-season and for, for five games you've included the cup game against Wimbledon and it's a bit different though I think when they've got nine new players and a, a complete overhaul of the philosophy and the fantastic patience that West Ham fans have got yeah I mean don't get me wrong don't get me wrong I, I, I still think he will turn it around I, I, I genuinely believe that he's the right man for the job I agree that and I've said it on this show and I've said it elsewhere before it, it will take time but the fact that we've lost two home games the two home games that we, when those fixtures were announced and you look at it and go okay well those two first away games are write-offs um, we never win at the Emirates we never win at Anfield so we're going to take we're going to get okay so those two first home games that's six points after four games we should be okay and we should have been looking at that and now okay you could say we've, we've only really dropped six points um, we've led into two of those games we've already played so you know if that if we'd have kept hold of those leads against Arsenal and Bournemouth and not conceded in the last minute against uh, Wolves then that's seven points after four games and everyone's you know praising Pellegrini so there, there are pros if and cons though, if, if, well, if, I, I mean right hindsight, hindsight's here, a wonderful thing isn't it it but, is brilliant but you know you look at it and go okay may, maybe it isn't that bad because we have held leads in those in those games and 
that means that something's going right because we've taken we've taken the lead in two of the four games we played. There were really there were really really encouraging signs in the first half against Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if but, that, but the one criticism of that, obviously, that you need to finish those chances. You have to, yeah. And they didn't. There, there was a weakness in Arsenal that wasn't thoroughly exposed. It, just just going off on a side note, is it just me or does Javier Hernandez just look like a shadow of the former? Oh, it, yeah, completely what gone. I'm, so, I'm surprised he's still at the club. He was causing... Went, in the second half against Bournemouth, I think it was, he spent most of the half offside. He, yeah, he, he does then, that now. And then he came on against... Uh, he came on against Wolves and I don't think he even touched the ball. And it's, you know, this is the player that you know, arrived with so much fanfare. And we're not really seeing the, the the Javier Hernandez that we all thought we were going to get. And I mean, I know that's it's not all it's not all his fault because he, he was in and out of the team last year under Billich and then Moyes. Um, and then this year he's not had a start yet. He started against Wimbledon and really struggled against Wimbledon. He, he was very poor against against Wimbledon. Even, and his, that go- is, even his goal was and, a scuff shot that like slipped through the legs. And you, you would know? feel that's his sort of game where West Ham are on the front foot for yeah. you know. Do you know what? I'll, I'll be straight with you, and this is, you know, I might be mugged off whatever for saying this. I reckon if they had 11 men, they would have beaten you, you know that. Do you think they would have won? I think they would have won. They I think, I think, do you know what? They looked good for it. I think the momentum was with them, and they started off just with this blistering pace, and I think they had a game plan there. Obviously, the, the, the two yellow cards for McDonald didn't really help, and that kind of had to check. It just changed things completely. It changed the way of the win there, but you know, I really think they would have beaten you. Do you know what they were doing well? I was I was there for, for work, but I was, I was sat in with the, the fans because the, the size of the press box at Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's always a bit of an experience when you sat in with the fans, but they were, you know, genuinely excited and, you know, about the, the plucky story. I think they've spent about £100,000 over the last few years, and West Ham spent a million, uh, £100 million this summer. But I think, do you know what? I think the sending off probably made it harder for West Ham because as much as Wimbledon would have sat deep anyway, it was then even deeper and even more defensive. But I, West Ham should have broken through earlier, but Pellegrini was full of praise afterwards about the uh, the sort of patience of his team to carry on doing that. I think the worry that I had was that when it got to about 50 minutes, 55, I think they scored 65. Mm. But you get towards an hour... I was sat there thinking, you, know, you look at this West Ham team with, and James Hansen had spoken to us before about wanting to break a couple of noses and <laughs> dish out some stitches to to the, these foreign stars. And I think Felipe Anderson came on and, and put a bit of control and showed a bit of class. And as much as West Ham should be winning that game 3-1, the, the one worry was that an, an hour the, they would break and that would be it, and they wouldn't. But they did, they went on and won. But I think going forward, I think, there just has to be that faith in, in what they're doing. I mean, Gareth Southgate's been speaking about it with England recently, that, and that if they go back to how they did play, you get nowhere. If you continue with this philosophy and give it a bit of time, you might still not go anywhere, but you're trying something new, and then there's every possibility that you will go somewhere. Gents, I want to take a different angle to how we we look at this debate. And Karen Brady has made the comment about, obviously, you know, he, talking about Pellegrini's pedigree and the fact that he's a winner, etc., 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 etc. He won the Premier League, what, four, three, four years ago? With Man City? Four. Four. 2014. Yeah. So four, four years, years ago. ago yeah. Four years ago with Manchester City, yeah. Now, 
I'm 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 in the same boat here with with you know our producer um, party because our club have this thing of hiring managers with pedigree and hiring managers who've won things. And we hired a certain man called Mr. Louis Van Hall who'd won everything that you could win apart from the Premier League, and he's won this and that and that Copa uh, Copa del Rey, you know Spanish League, everything, blah 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 blah. But he was in his sixties. We've then gone for a man called Mourinho who's won everything else in his fifties, but the the sort of the common denominator between those two is the fact that their methods that they've tried to employ onto our club the methods that they've tried to put onto the players and especially with Van Hull that famous word he loved to use philosophy just did not work because his methods were outdated can you see any correlation between you know Mourinho and Van Hull and Pellegrini in the sense that yes he's won everything you know he's won he's won the Premier League he's won bits and pieces grant you know granted but effectively maybe his methods may be out of date maybe he may be trying to flog a dead horse do you, do you kind of see what I mean I've had this conversation with people at work over the last couple of weeks and there, I think there's something in that with Pellegrini but at the same time I think a, a lot of it bows down to the fact that if you look at when Pellegrini won the Premier League four years ago he won that Premier League with a team with the likes of Sergio Aguero David Silva Vincent Company. Uh, and the, you know that classic core, Man City core, and all the other players that were there was Ed and Jacko was there. You know all, all these like, oh, he d- he didn't have a weak team. He didn't have a weak team. No, no. Fact, he so he no. had the strongest strongest squad in the league. So therefore, he's come to he's come to West Ham, which I mean you could argue is probably the weakest the weakest team that he's managed in his in his managerial career. Malaga. But, I mean, no, Malaga had money, didn't they? I'm talking about at this stage. I mean, I mean, we, we, we're just on the back of a relegation battle. Yeah, Malaga had mm, money. So when 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 he went to Malaga, they were actually, you know, that they had decent money in there. West Ham have money. They've just spent hundred million pounds. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's, that's quite. <laughs> but, we're, but we're on the back of two relegation yeah. battles. So he's he's gone in there, and you know, he's only been away from England for two years. Don't forget. Uh, I know two years in football can be a long time, but I, I see the argument that yeah, okay, the game may have passed him by a little bit. His game may have passed his philosophy, philosophy by. And we we all know that he's quite stubborn with his tactics. He won't change what what he wants to do. He's he, he's got one one way of playing, and that's how he's going to play. And that's how his players have got. To, that's what his players have got to buy into. But at the same time. He's got a weaker squad, and I think he's only really just realising. Okay, well, this is a bigger job than I think I really, I really took on. Even with a hundred million pound investment and the, and the nine, ten players he's brought in, it's, it's going to take a little bit more time because the players that he's got to work with this time aren't as talented as the ones that he he had playing the same style of football at Man City. Or I think the one point is though that you're not expecting him to do anything like he's doing with with Manchester oh, City, like he did. Sorry, with Manchester oh, City. Oh, like we're not he's, expecting him to win the league. He's got a squad that I'm not. This isn't a criticism. I think they still will have a fairly decent season. He's got a squad that should be doing much better than four defeats in a row. In the should be. To start should the season. be. And yet, I, I, I do see what Aaron said, you know, maybe it may, you know, all this philosophy is taking a little bit longer for players to buy into it. And I think, I think you also, a lot of people also forget is that we're, we're talking about West Ham United that have played long ball football quite a lot over the last five or six years. Um, we've had a lot of change at the club I've said this so many times before it's not just a case of bringing a new manager and he wants a new style of football this is a new manager with a new coaching staff with a new philosophy a new tactics new style 10 new first team players but go, go, going back to Jack's point we had that with Palace last year in the sense of the philosophy and the style that the ball was trying to put on Frank the ball I always get Frank and Ronald mixed up don't <laughs> Me you? Too, do, yeah. do, you ever, do you ever do that? all the time very uh, 
Visually, yeah, yeah right, they look perfect. very visually oh, similar. Cool. But yeah. you're, all right, all right. <laughs> you're a pro, so exactly. Um, but you know, Frank the Ball was trying to put round pieces and square holes, if you like. He, he was trying to get a Palace side that had played a certain way. You know, especially a certain way. They weren't even playing like a decent brand of football. They just, just, just scraped the Premier League. You know, they managed to get keep themselves in it. They had players there who, let's be fair, aren't the best. And he was trying to get them to play a certain brand of football. That sort of total football. It was never going to work. I think the one thing that, uh, that is true, that was never going to work. I think the investment from West Ham this summer is a recognition that they couldn't do this without that sort of money. This certainly yeah, no, but does that not show that the lack of investment over the years, and there has been a lack of investment over the years. I, th- I think what what it does though is that they've now decided after the last two seasons they've gone this can't happen, and, and this is where the board do need some credit, and that they've made a decision. They've gone, we want this. They're trying to change their their stock and and their position in in the Premier League, uh, moving away from either mid table or. They've seen an opportunity and that, look, last, especially last season, everyone outside the top seven were awful. You can seize that. I think I've spoken about this with you before. If mm. you can seize that chance, then there's something there. They've noticed that, they've invested. But I think Pellegrini is very... He's still got a lot of belief in, in the roles that he's trying to put into this squad. I mean, I know his comparison of Andre Perlo and Jack Wilshere got a lot of flack, but, I mean, we spoke to him about that again and he sort of clarified that he wasn't comparing the two players he was saying that this could be a role that I employ in my squad because he didn't want Yaya Torre a sort of he's not a combative midfielder but as he's got older he's dropped deeper and and he's certainly more combative than Jack Wilshere but he wants Wilshere to play that more cultured technically he always talks about a technical player Mm. a more technical role which is why there's no real focus on pace in the side I mean Anderson's got a bit about him on Altovich up front but aside from that there's not a lot of pace he puts a lot of faith in technical players with a massive pitch like that though yeah are we are we you know are we going to be con- sort of constricting the, the game to like certain patches only you know are we are we going to be playing football in, in, in sort of like you know a, a quarter of it only because there is so much space and you'd think you know you'd want to see flying wingers going up and down the wing full backs overlapping and you know you know the pitch being used to its full well I think capacity. that's that's where the likes of Ryan Fredericks come in I mean Arthur Masuaku spends too much far too much time in the other half yeah. for a left back but Creswell can do it I think there's there's an emphasis of on those technical players and when you have put an emphasis on on players like that it takes some time. It takes longer than it does than if you've got flying wingers. On Fredericks, though, he looked like against against Wolves. He looked like he he'd been told not to run with the ball. Every time he got the ball, he looked really really cagey with it. He didn't want to run with it. You know, he was always quite. I'm not too sure what I'm going to do with it. I'm always going to look for the pass. And we all know about what Fredericks can do. We saw him in the Championship last year. Gets you know loves loves to beat a man. Loves to get to the byline. And he just wasn't doing that to get Wolves. It was if he's been told, do not run with it. And that that's a really really confusing thing for me. Is that why why is one probably one of our Pacey's players potentially being told you know you've got to you know look for the pass rather than try and beat your man when you know use your use your use your skills who is to blame for West Ham's slump first and foremost let, let's talk about the stadium I mean are, are people actually blaming the ground still still hear comments about it I think it really really can't be an excuse anymore Pellegrini's even said that as well he gets very uptight when you suggest that that might be a problem or that might be an excuse it's been clear from the off that he's not going to use it as an excuse which is good to hear and is also from my perspective quite a good thing if he does start using it as an excuse later down the line but 
he's he's made it very clear that it's not an excuse and i really don't think it should be anymore we've been there for two and a bit years now anyone that sees that that place is an excuse you know it it, it it can't it can't be we've won football matches there before we've beaten chelsea there we've beaten tottenham there and we've won football matches there it's not as if we've never won in that stadium yet and we're, we're really, you know, we're, we're really struggling to find our feet. We've won football matches there. So I don't see it as an excuse. I saw people blaming fans eating popcorn and, you know, the wall. Yeah, thing. that I is. I saw that and tweet. That is, and I, I said it I on mean, the show last, I said it on the show last week. Like, if you think popcorn is is a, is the biggest problem at West Ham and you've got another thing coming, you've got no idea. That popcorn, who cares if someone's eating popcorn? Yeah, it's, 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 it's no one's place. between eating it? popcorn or a pie? You, you've got to say it's gentrification of football food, though. It is, but, like, who's, <laughs> who's to say? That, that you can't eat popcorn at a football like they're no less of a fan because they think oh I quite like some popcorn there's, no. a, there's a picture of this poor bloke sitting there eating popcorn at half time and they made it out as if it was during the game and the geezer was eating it sitting at half time you've got to look at it and go are you just you're just deliberately trying to find excuses here just because you don't like the stadium and I get people don't like the, pro- don't the like problem the is like, I mean I don't really like the stadium but it's it now. It's, it's too late. Well, yeah, it's too late. You can't go back. Upton Park is now a block of flats. We can't go back. We're there now. And Where the scene like of a fantastic film. I, I won't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I spotted that. I'm on really my, looking uh, forward to watching it. On my it. sky plan, it's uh, like, mm. no, I won't watch it. No, I got invited to the screening the other day, and I, I saw guys can't go. Just don't want to watch it. Why not? Because it will break my heart. <laughs> to be fair, and I, 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 I have no fear in saying this, and and um, you know. <laughs> You may you may get annoyed for me for saying this. When the time was was there to to do something, West Ham fans didn't do anything. West Ham fans just sat back and let it happen. They should have fought for it's their. Cause, for, it's because a lot a lot a lot of the, the the dreams that the club sold the fans, a lot of fans bought into, um, and the club have now have realised. You know, after all those protests last year that we saw, the club realised that a lot of stuff they said they should never have said to the fans because they did sell, sell a lot of fans down the river they sold them, sold them a dream that was never going to happen they knew that the, the owners knew that they couldn't deliver a stadium they said they could deliver yeah but anyone with half a brain cell would realise that you know that that's a round stadium with a round sort yeah. of you know the, the the base of it is round the, um, the, the difference is, is though that they, they were showing fans videos of how the, the retractable seating which is supposed to be electronic, by the way, and it's not. It's, it's now been called remove, removable yeah. or something. That, they, they, they were showing a CGI videos of that coming in and out, and it was going a lot closer to the pitch than, than, than it actually does. So, again, there's another promise. And, I, and gen- I genuinely don't think that, that distance from the pitch is a huge it's not that issue bad. it's not that bad it's I'm, not, it's I'm not, closer it's to the pitch than I was at Upson Park exactly it's not I mean where I sit in the press box is very far away I've had conversations away. with people at the club who are a bit like why, why are you sticking you know not that we're more important than a fan but a journalist we get that perspective and if somebody asks our opinion I am a long way from the pitch why are we so far back you know we could be the, the, that's the one side that's noticeably far away that is, is the side with the dugouts and, and where mm. we sit in the press box the other side's closer to behind the goals it's really not that much of a that's not the issue and what I find funny is that when you go to certain games going back everyone goes back to it but that Tottenham game in the first season the 1-0 win the Leicester game last year there is there is an atmosphere to be created there mm. it can be a good atmosphere It's it's not a traditional Premier League ground. I've spoken to players who have said that they feel like it's playing in a foreign country. It's just different. But it's really got to the point where it's gone too far now for that to be the issue. I think everyone is comfortable with the routines. 
of, of going to that ground now of the players will be comfortable with the people where they are I mean speaking to players they don't if you look at Tottenham and the, and the way they settled at Wembley they admitted it was a bit of a struggle but they settled because you see the familiar faces that are there and that's what makes it home especially for players it can't be an excuse for players the only time it will become an excuse for players is if you get occasions like that Burnley game last year but if you look at it you know the the all the comments about the the bit on the side you know that carpet thing on the side and how they can't differentiate where you know where the pitch starts and where it stops so i don't i don't buy that i, mean, I get i get the i get why they want to change the color because where because it's green it does make the pitch look a lot bigger so i get why they want to change the color of it but I don't buy. They don't know where the where the pitch starts and stops. That's what the white lines are for. So, and they get paid yeah. a lot of money to know where those white lines I think, are. I think that was an odd comment from uh, it was Billich that said that, and I think that's not what the club are arguing for now. The club are arguing mainly on I think safety reasons because it is a bit suspect, and they want to create a bit more of a homely feel about it. They've put a lot of work into doing that. With, mm. I mean, sticking the old mural up is not going to do much, but. They've put they they've put thought some thought into it at least and and I think small tweaks like that and kicking off over the sort of strip around the edge of the stadium shows that it shows to the fans that they care at least care about the hope the feel of it. Do West Ham fans simply need to just shut up, sit down, and and, and basically put up with it? I think that's that's probably a harsh way of putting it. I think honest. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I think I think fans are, have every right to be upset about what's happened over the last couple of years, and I, I completely support that fact. But I do feel as if fans at the stadium on home games have to play their part as well, and I don't think they've been doing that recently. Pellegrini got a lot of flack for saying that after the Bournemouth game. I got a lot of flack for saying it last week as well. Yeah, I think, and I, I, I just I genuinely believe that if if fans turn up and create an atmosphere at that ground, we've already seen it. You mentioned earlier the Leicester game last year, the Chelsea game, the Tottenham game. We can't just rely on turning up when we really, really need to win a football match, or it's a London derby. The thing you can't do that. You've got to turn up every game and support the team. I think we nil nil against Wolves. There's, there's fans leaving the stadium game. This is ridiculous. It's like, come on, guys. Like, we what, we were just talking about Crystal Palace in the break, and I think if you flip it you look at last season i mean they've got a whole issue going on with their ultras behind the the stand and and oh it's been, it's been resolved has it yeah have you not seen the survey that's gone round? i oh, know i saw i saw that the, survey but yeah um that's actually gone out now the issue they had this season but last season they had their fanatics behind the home end and all around the ground they they have fantastic support it's a, it's a smaller ground, you understand that. So the, the 20,000 that are there are, you know, they go every week, etc, etc. There's more fans to please at West Ham. But they won so many games or picked up points, and so they did it against West Ham in the last few minutes under Hodgson last season. And a big part of that is down to the support that carries on and carries on and carries on. Are there a lot of tourists now at West Ham? Because obviously, you know, the idea was to bring in uh, those people who... who obviously couldn't get into Upton Park because of the capacity of 34, 35,000. They couldn't get in there. They they couldn't go and watch West Ham United. They've got themselves a bigger ground now, 20, 30,000 more seats. Is there that band of tourists now who come in, the day trippers? There are, and there's always going to be, you know, the, the tourists and the day trippers coming into a stadium that's that big and when they're selling tickets so cheaply. But yeah, that's not an issue of West Ham's. But I think that's an issue for the whole Premier League. It's, it's an issue for the whole Premier League. You, again, it's, it's, I don't think it's an excuse. A lot of West Ham fans go, oh, you know, there's so many tourists. It's like, well, but you're still going and you were singing right at Upton Park. What's changed? Mm. What's changed? You know, okay, we're not winning football matches, but that's where the fans have got to come into play. I think a lot of games have been, have been lost. I'm not blaming the fans for us losing football matches because you can't. No. But I think 
it does help when the fans are loud. I mean, 85 minutes at Wolves, it's nil-nil. And they're all walking... You know, I saw, the geezer walks past me out at the end of the hour. He walks past me and goes, oh, this is ridiculous. I've had enough. It's 85th minute. It's nil-nil. It's yeah, not you, you, down mate, through, nil. you don't leave the cinema, do you? What's going on? And then, okay, if that was us scoring a 93rd minute, it'd have been livid. And you go, I can't believe I left. We scored. We, we won the game. Like, stay there and sing. Stay there and support the team. You paid your money for the ticket... Okay, you'd argue not get your money's worth, but you don't get your money's worth all the time at any club. Sometimes Man City fans might go, I didn't get my money's worth today, we only scored five goals. So I think you know? the key so difference you've got, is... You've got, to put it in, you've got to put it into perspective, and I think a lot of fans just t- expect us, just because we've moved stadium, expect us to turn up every week and steamroll teams, especially now we've spent 100 million quid and we've got Pellegrini in charge. They expected us to batter uh, Bournemouth, they expected us to batter Wolves, and that's not realistic. It's not realistic. You've got to get a little bit more perspective. And I think, especially with the two home games, you're coming up against sides that specifically, well, not specifically, especially in Bournemouth, that are so well settled and so well organised that you aren't going to steamroll them. No. They don't, unless you're up against, I, know, I mean, how can't organise a defence, but unless you're up against top six side, they're, they're not going to get steamrolled. I, I, I truly thought that West Ham would really get something good out of Bournemouth. I thought they'd get something. I didn't think we should have done. We should have. But done. at the same, in the same breath, I think going back to the fans and Pellegrini's made this point when he, when he got the stick for it. That the difference is if you're four nil down and there are fans leaving in the last ten minutes, that's fine. Get it? Yeah. Players will get it. Players will speak to us afterwards and be like, "Look, we completely appreciate it. We let them down." Da, 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 da. Where he's getting the flick, the the flack is and the stick is that he said there's one goal in it with ten minutes to go. What can happen there? That's where the support makes that one two percent difference. Well, look what happened at the Burnley game. All those all those pitch invasions started at one nil down. Ends three nil, and the fans like can't we've lost three nil. It was like, well, you, you did half contribute to that scoreline a little bit because you're running on the pitch and fighting our captain, you know. So I just think that it's you know f- fans have got to turn up and they can't just pick and choose when they want to turn up and make an atmosphere. They've proven that they can make an atmosphere. You know they all they all went on about how great Upton Park was and Upton Park, particularly under lights, was a fantastic stadium. But y- you can't tell me it was it was the loudest, best atmosphere in the Premier League every single game. No, but it, was it wasn't. It was intimidating. But and I've I've said this again. I said this on Twitter the other day. If you want London Stadium to be intimidating, turn up and make it intimidating. It was intimidating against Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, w- it was the, against Tottenham. And I think it, that's it probably the thing. was against Leicester. If you if you you can't leave that stadium after moaning and groaning and not singing for for eighty five minutes at nil nil, and then go, oh, it's no atmosphere today. So like, well, hang on, you won't even try. And if you want that stadium to be intimidating, you turn up with a view and, and an intention of making that stadium intimidating. And if fifty five fifty six thousand fans do that, all with the view of doing that, then that stadium will ne- will never be an issue. But that that's. With most clubs, exactly. Bar, bar. Obviously, we talk about Palace, and I think West Ham. That the difference between you know then and now is obviously you've got you know your your thirty thousand, thirty five thousand core, who are now scattered around the ground, and you've got that infill of you know day trippers, infillatories, yeah. empty seats, you name it. You've still got that. You know, it's not even a case of. I mean, you look at most clubs. You look at Palace. You know, they've got that solid fan base who go every week who make noise you know they're, they're a, a great bunch of fans but split them up and then you've got a different proposal well that was the problem that the, fa- uh, that the club made when we first moved is that 
they they said to fans that they'll be migrating seats pretty much to where everyone else was sitting it from the old stadium into the new stadium so we kind of expected it to to have that same feel everyone would be around each other but because it's a bigger stadium and more seats some people were split up and they did try and rectify a little bit of that last season but you, they're never going to get it right as we said it's a bigger stadium but there's another 20 there's like 25 an next 25 30,000 new season ticket holders and they're not all tourists. They're all West Ham fans that couldn't get a season to get up some park. So why aren't they turning up and singing? It's not just the old up some park lot that aren't turning up and singing. It's everyone else. And I think, I think fans have got to go there and stop moaning. There's no atmosphere and actually try and create an atmosphere. You know. And then when, when we start doing that, you know, it doesn't feel like home. But the only way it does feel like home is if you try and make it like, like actually put an effort in. Okay, fans don't want to be there, but we're there now. We're stuck with it. And you don't start. It doesn't start feeling like home unless you start. Feeling at home, creating that, creating an atmosphere. Then winning football matches. Then when you start winning football matches, then you know you start you start you start forgetting. And then once you, once that comes, and then suddenly it's home again. You start winning some football matches. And as I said before, it's not like we haven't won a game there yet. We're two and a bit years in, and we've I, had I, I, I can't remember the last time they West have Ham they have lost more than they've won there. Exactly. Though. I can't remember the <laughs> last Only time they in the Premier League, and all comps we've still won more than we've lost. But I can't remember the last time they had Stanley in the yeah, last minute yeah, and a few dodgy. Uh, Shrewsbury and a replay but no I think you do I mean, the, the way we're talking we're putting a lot of onus on the fans wins create a good atmosphere and it's it's a cycle it's chicken and egg etc but get that the, it's it's the small bits at the moment when things aren't going very well if the fans start to show a bit of faith if the players put a bit more effort in and that, I think that's what happened at that Leicester game last year it was one all it wasn't a very exciting game I forget, Leicester went 1-0 up in like the second minute. My brother walked out the moment that goal went in. Yeah, I remember speaking to you about that. And, <laughs> and yeah. Your brother walked out when yeah, that goal went in? We literally got to it. We got to the stadium late, and he, we got to the seat, and the moment we got to the seat, Leicester scored, 90 seconds in, and he tapped me on the shoulder and went, I'm off, Matt, seeing a power after the game, and he left the stadium. He'd been in the stadium for five minutes, and he walked, he walked off. But isn't that just sort of typical of West Ham fans? Though? Well, I didn't, I didn't agree with him. I had to pop at him afterwards, because I was like, you just missed a brilliant atmosphere there. You would have loved that. And he was like, oh, well. But that atmosphere was created off the back of, of players were working hard and, and committing to something and that sparks it in the stands and it works together. So if you see little bits like that, there's a reaction. So if you can see that in the next home game, there will be an understanding that I think it's Chelsea first Chelsea and then Manchester first. United uh, yeah. against Chelsea. If there's an understanding, there will be an understanding that they're not expected to win that because Chelsea have had a really good start to the season and Chelsea are Chelsea. But the fans are going to turn up to London Derby. Yeah, it's a derby. But then again against Manchester United, I know it's against a big team, but if they see an effort, a plan, an improvement. The, after the Arsenal game, it was largely positive. They lost 3-1. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not for one minute saying that it's the fans' fault that we're losing football matches at London Stadium, because I'm not. All I'm saying is that I think there needs to be a lot more effort from the West Ham fans. There's too much, oh, it's nearly nil after 85 minutes. This is ridiculous, you know? And it's too much... It's too much. It's, it, it can't be one-sided anymore. We, we're all in this together. We're all in this, in, in this together in, in the way I see it. And uh, the, some fans I've seen talking about that stadium and you know, some of the excuses coming out of their mouths and they're blaming popcorn. They're blaming. Uh, they're blaming the, the, the distance from the seats to the pitch. They're, they're, they're blaming all sorts. They're blaming the price, price of beer and stuff like that. It's like, well, that's nothing to do with the football. And I think we've just got to, we've just got to take, just get over it, a little bit more perspective. And I think that eventually it will come. We've got to start winning football matches there, and then we'll and then we'll start making memories. Um, yeah, I think one thing that we've been speaking about, and, and I think is a real big problem to start with, going back to West Ham 
is their defence. And I've asked Pellegrini about it, and he's been very funny about it. But I think we've got, and I'm relying on JJ for this to be true. He's got three different back fours in four games. That's true. That's true. Thank you. The only, the the only, uh, I think Balbuena is the only one that started everyone. That's probably right. I couldn't <laughs> tell you, but it sounds it sounds right. But yeah, I think I I put it to him that it's quite important that he finds a settled two, the, ignoring the fullbacks because you can rotate them depending on who you're playing. Mm-hmm. I think if you're being more conservative, obviously you go with Zabaleta and Creswell. If you think throw caution to the wind, Masuaku is is your man because. He's frankly missing something. <laughs> He's a bit mad when he plays. He is, isn't he? Yeah, which I which mean, is I mean, quite entertaining, but not good if you're a I, manager. I remember the FA Cup with his his uh, little spatter uh, spitting yeah. into that in a Wigan. Um, but uh, Pellegrini didn't like that. He went off on a big sort of tetchy is probably the word. You know, I've got four really good defenders. I trust them all. Da, 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 da. Which isn't really. I wasn't criticising any of his defenders. I was. Do you miss Ginge? Oh no, I'm not having that. That that would have made anything better. Stop talking. No, I'm not. I, that I is love. I I miss Ginge with all my heart. Nothing, I love the man. Great character, great for the club. Not good enough to be a defender in this in what the, what this team wants to be. Still deserved a lot better than what he got at the end of his West Ham career. He did. That's true. But that's not Pellegrini's fault. <laughs> it's not Pellegrini's fault. Uh, anyway, let's move away from Ginge. Uh, I, I think I think he I think the Wolves game okay it was a, it was a new back four I mean he added Cresswell to it brought Zabalette back in Fredericks again nowhere to be seen wasn't even on the bench but I think Balbuena and Diop looked like the more solid centre back pair that we've seen all season I was really impressed think, with Diop we against Wimbledon yeah he, I think it took him a little bit of time yeah sort of time he to got see. he was startled early on and I was ready to I was doing an analysis piece and I was ready to have a bit of a dig at him and be at least to you know, it's twenty-two million pounds. That's not nothing. Still, it's a ball plan centre half as well. But he he got a real hit from Hansen, I think, in the second half, or early in no late in the first half. Sorry, and then he just switched, and then he was winning. He, he a few balls came his way directly up, immediately after that, and he got rid of them all really aggressively, and was just like, right now, this is me, mm. and obviously scored the goal, which helps. But I was impressed with that reaction of of. Yeah. Him having a desire to show something. And I think Balbuena will get there. His I think uh, Balbuena impresses me the most because uh, he, he looks a threat from set pieces. He looks like one of those typical no nonsense no nonsense centre halves. And I think we're, we're uh, okay, what James Collins lacked in, in just sheer like ability at Premier League level, he made up for in sort of just being a no nonsense, you know, no nonsense centre half, which is what, what we kind of need at West Ham. And yeah, I think, I think that has replaced the, him, but he's, I mean, he's a good footballer. I think he's a good centre half. He only cost us, what, five million quid. Um, and I think him and Diop showed against Wolves. I mean, it, we conceded nine goals before that game, and it took Wolves until the 93rd minute to, to score their first one. So for me, that was which okay. was Creswell's fault. Which was Creswell. I mean, no, well, it was Creswell's and Sanchez for giving the ball away. Um, but for me, that was a little bit of progress because it had taken ninety third minute for a team to break us down. Okay, they missed a couple of chances, um, but that's you know that's progress for me. But I, I, I do genuinely believe that Balbuena and Diop were the two centre half pairing. The important point is that he sticks with them, and regardless of what happens. 
Because they are going to ship goals against Chelsea and Manchester United and probably away at Everton. I don't think against Man United. Maybe no. <laughs> probably not. I mean, it'd be typical West Ham to kick three But, sheets, but out, out of those three games, it's, it's likely, they might not, but it's likely that they'll ship some goals. Yeah. Not four each time, but, you know, two... Losing 2-0, you concede a couple of goals in each time. Mm. That reads badly for the, their defending this season. But it's important that through that he sticks with, if it's not that two, if he decides on a new two, fine. Stick with it through it. Let them play together. Let them understand because the football he wants to play, especially if he's going to stick with the midfield two, which involves Jack Wilshere, mm. which he has to because he's his big technical player, that needs something backing it up and a foundation to make sure that they can go and do what they want to do going forward. And I know he's not a coach that puts... Of course, he will put emphasis on defence. He's a professional football manager, but not not too much emphasis on it in that he's not like Mourinho. He's I was not, about to say, have you ever watched Roberto he, Martin as a coach he, that doesn't put any emphasis yeah. on defence? There you go. Yeah. You you see that it, it that is what's needed before you can go on and do what he wants to do going forward. I agree. Um, it's, it's, it's nothing new for West Ham though we've, we've always leaked goals um, so it was, it was quite refreshing to see the moment Pellegrini come in he started buying defenders Fedrix was his first signing uh, he, he brings in Diop Nottingham after that then Balbuena arrives and it's like okay he's clearly identified the fact that we our, weak, our weakest part of the team is, is our defence and then but I, I think we can see can see 10 goals in the fourth first you, four games if you needed like, him oh. to work that out I think you know any anyone could have worked that well, out well no I'm not, I'm not saying that but what, what I mean is that it was nice to see under a new manager mm. The first thing he addresses in the transfer market is our weak defence because, you know, we've had under so many managers, we'd had, you know, a, a number of chances to, to strengthen that defence and we never did. He's come in without even managing one single game and has gone, right, three, three new defenders, probably not even enough. Um, and so that was refreshing and then we can see 10 goals in the first four games, 11 if you include the Wimbledon one. And it's like, oh, great. That's not really changed much, but it is because he's been tinkering. Yeah, it's that settled. You can understand the tinkering and, and it taking time for players to get up to speed. You have to find that formula. Yeah, but it's, it, it is completely different pre-season, though. That's nothing. Whatever they did in pre-season would not compare, especially if you've not played in the Premier League before. Yeah, I think that time for tinkering early on is over now. It's not gone well, but he would have learned a lot. And he would have had time to, in this international break, work on it. And it's about sticking oh, with it. No, 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 no. You can't say he's had time to work on it because hasn't he just gone on holiday? I wasn't a holiday. What was it? I think he went home to sort out some personal issues. I mean, last time he was there, he got mugged. So it may have something. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it happened, but that's what happened. But he had things sort out. He's been back. I think he came back back end of last week. So he went for a few days. Did when he? players would have been given time off anyway. And they're back training now, so he's. And even there, he'll, he'll have time to th- think about what's happening. And on that though, I th- I thought it was it was very very weird that they that that was became public. Yes. Had had West Ham been doing well this season, that would have never been made public. Had we won one or two of our first four games, and things weren't as you know weren't as bad as they they seem, that would never be made public. Am I right? I I. I think so. I think probably. I mean, a lot of. I think it's more the reaction. I think a lot of the time, you know, if a manager isn't going to be at the training ground, 
whenever it is. You know when players are going to have largely. You know when players are going to have their days off. Yeah. If they're going to be given an extended bit of time off during a break, because it happens every time. But I think the reaction to it, or it might not have been picked up as much, if it weren't that that you know you'd lost your first four games. I mean, don't be wrong. I was quite surprised when it did came out. Uh, did come out, but then when you think about it, you know he's allowed time off just as much as we're allowed time off from our jobs regardless of how much pressure we're under um, it's just a shame that the job he does is is in the public the public eye um, and if he had personal reasons I mean don't forget I mean he's probably still got a house over there and still probably got family over there so he's well in his rights to, to pop, pop back home for a few days and and see his family. Gents, West Ham United away at Everton this weekend let's look at it from our sort of point of view firstly who's going? Anyone? I will not be going. I'm not going either. No, it's a super I'm, go- I'm actually going to watch Boreham Wood v. Oh, no, it's because it is Sunday, isn't it? Uh, I'm going to watch Boreham Wood Barrow on, on Saturday. Um, but I'm not going up to Everton on Sunday. No? So. I mean, how, how do you see your side faring against Everton? Obviously, you know, money bags, some, what? Well, I mean, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised in, in hearing that I don't have any confidence that we'll get anything out of the game. Um, we, our record at Goodison Park is woeful. I think we've won three, three Premier League games there um, since since the in- inception of the Premier League. The last one was that classic one with the Payet, um, the Payet winner of three two in the ninety third minute a couple of years ago when we were two 0 down, scored three goals in the last fifteen minutes. I think it was, um, and that was that was during a season where we were just like riding riding a wave of positivity and saying farewell to Upton Park. So. I think that was a bit of an anomaly that season, you know, a little bit given the circumstances. But we never get anything there. Since then, we've lost, we lost two 0 there. We've lost four 0 there. And um, Everton looked good, didn't they? Everton looked good, and they're only going to get better at home under Silver and with Richard. I know Richarlison's suspended, isn't it? Is, is, he, is he suspended? I think this is his final game, so he won't be playing. Um, Okay, yeah, we mean him will probably play, and that that Bernard who West Ham are actually in for as well, he'll probably play. That's what I'm hearing. So. Bernard, but 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 no, he's Bernard. He's Brazilian. Is he Brazilian? You got to say Bernard. No, no, no. You got to say Bernard. Bernard. <laughs> oh. You're from East London. Right, right. I know you're from exactly. Essex. I'm not from Essex. <laughs> Uh, but Bernard then but but I mean he's a good player all the same isn't he so um, <laughs> stitched up I think I, I, I don't I don't given our form given I know Everton uh, they seem to have already I know it's been one game but they seem to really miss Richarlison so I'm, I'm banking on well I'm hoping that they'll they'll really miss his creativity and his goals but at the same time they've still got enough to, to hurt us particularly the way that our defence is and the way the way we're playing I just I don't see us getting anything out of it no I, it's tough isn't it because you you would go there last season the last few seasons and you wouldn't you you would know that if you could hold them off for the first 15-20 minutes the atmosphere would start to go it seems like a very different place, Goodison Park, this year. Mm. But I think from a West Ham perspective, the sort of attitude or the, the style will be telling in that if they go there and nothing's changed, then Pellegrini is still adamant that, that his way is going to work. They go there and are maybe a little bit more reserved. I think they won't go out you know, as, as if they were, they were playing at home. There will be a, a, a bit more of a thought to, to make sure they don't concede. But if they go there and properly shut up shop then I think that's probably more concerning than if they go there attack and lose the real problem that we've got and I agree with that I do agree with that the problem we've got is that not even a point is good enough anymore 
in this game. It's, it's only four games into the season. I know, but then if you look at our next two games, we'll suddenly see. you lose those two, you get a point out of it, and you lose the next two home games, and you've got a point after seven games. We've, we, I mean, we've spoken about them a lot already, but you look at Palace, they stayed up comfortably having not even scored in their well, first I, seven I games. Said it last, I, said it, I said that last week, Palace ended up finishing higher than West Ham last season. So all is not lost. But it's still, you still look at it and you, you dread the worst, don't you? You do fear the worst when you're in the situation that we're in at the moment. Oh, without doubt, it's, it's very quick to judge, but that's where the board needs to stick to what they've said and show faith and, and etc. what we've spoken about. It's more that you want to see that the result of a point be fan- point, well, points would be fantastic. And it is one of those games where you could go there and suddenly... Christ, something that was happened to West Ham, completely different side. Mm. I doubt it, but it could happen. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? But this is where you see exactly what has Pellegrini been telling these players during the break. What has happened on the training ground? Are they still buying into it? If so, good. Whether they get the result is is not as important as whether you see that reaction and that conviction to the to his. Style. One man who's uh, who certainly knows his stuff about Everton. He's, he's backing his tactics truck down the driveway. Oh, there you go. There's the sound effect. <laughs> Production of the highest order, of the highest order. It's uh, Alan O'Brien. Alan, good evening. Good evening, Aaron. I was just about to say that you've torn me away from the UEFA Nations League, but I, I think admitting that represents a traffic offence now. So maybe I should have kept quiet. <laughs> What's that? Scotland versus Albania. No, I'm watching uh, Portugal versus Italy. Oh, you're watching. You're watching the good game. You're watching. Well, for, for broadcast reasons, we can't watch that one here, uh, unfortunately, in England. Although I was more interested in Andorra versus Kazakhstan or Kosovo versus the Faroe Islands. Two, you know, mouth-watering ties. Let's be honest, pal. Um, Absolutely. Out, we're, we're, we're talking all things West Ham. We're looking ahead to the game against Everton this weekend. Of course, the Toffees under new stewardship. Uh, uh, I was about to say Roberto Martinez, but no, Marco Silva uh, is the man in charge there. Bankrolled again by Farhad Mashiri. Um, Everton will be will be looking to win, naturally. Yeah, they will. They're unbeaten so far in the Premier League, as you know. And West Ham, as, as I'm sure James knows, have yet to take a point. <laughs> So Everton at home will be looking to target uh, another positive result. However, I think the, the farm table is lying a little bit about Everton so far. And I think the hype, as always, about Marco Silva is somewhat overcooked. Uh, in all of their four games so far, I don't think Everton have been particularly impressive. Even in victory, their one victory over Southampton, they were very vulnerable at the back. Um, Danny Ings had a huge chance for Southampton to take a point from it, which they probably merited. And if you look at their statistics that underlie their performances, Aaron, only Brighton and Huddersfield have completed less passes within 20 yards of the opposition goal than Everton. And we saw it against Huddersfield last weekend, actually, where David Wagner's side set up in a 5-4-1 ultra-defensive and Marco Silva's Everton could not break them down. They created absolutely nothing. It was a horrendous game. And I think that, plus the fact that Everton have already conceded four goals from set pieces, which was a frailty of Marco Silva's Watford team as well, should give the likes of James and other Hammers fans a lot of heart. Yeah, I, th- I think the, I think the one the one positive for Everton would certainly be that I, th- I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but 
they rely on on getting in behind quite quickly with the likes of I mean Walcott against Bournemouth was was a constant threat and mm. getting in like that and like you mentioned Huddersfield sitting deep they couldn't break them down West Ham under Pellegrini aren't going to go there and put you know two banks of four and sit deep there is mm. there will be plenty of chances to get in in behind that West Ham back four I think that's the encouraging thing for Everton I think the end of the Bournemouth games a worry and, a, and and also an encouragement for West Ham I think you'd look at that and think there's something that can be done there I think one one thing that we could, I mean both sides have have had their weaknesses really exposed um, over the last few games and uh, I mean Alan perfectly sort of said but uh, told us exactly where where Everton can can really be exposed but it, I think both sides weaknesses show that this game's going to be very very open given that they both both managers prefer an attacking style of football and it's going to be interesting to see sort of who who buckles first under the pressure I think because you know I know Everton are unbeaten but they've only had one win and I think that that says a lot I think they've, they've probably just been a, just been a lot more tighter at the back than, than West Ham have been and I think that I think we're West Ham against Wolves conceding late on showed that potentially that is beginning to be fixed. But you're right. I think West Ham should be looking at uh, at set pieces. That's that's definitely someone like Balbuena and Diop two two big powerhouses at the back. I think that's what should be doing. No, I mean if if you look at it, that's all West Ham got themselves back into the uh, the AFC Wimbledon game as well, wasn't it? In yeah, the exactly, in the Carling yeah. Cup through a set piece, which which won the game for them. Now aside from that, I don't know how potent West Ham have been uh, from attacking set pieces this season so far. My suspicion is not very, and I know that they've been quite fragile in defending them as well. They've already conceded two. So they're the second worst record after Everton this year in terms of, of keeping out dead balls, which is a worry as well. Mm. But in but in open play, there, there, there's another positive um, for West Ham. Obviously, we're all aware that Richarlison, who's been really the focal point of uh, Marco Silva's tactics this season so far, he got himself sent off a stupid red card against Bournemouth mm. I, mean, I, I believe he'll be serving the last game of his suspension yeah, yeah, on right. Sunday so that's a huge miss for Everton because although they got their goal against um, Huddersfield down the left uh, through Luke, Luca Dean and Dominic Calvert-Lewin from what I saw from Everton fans they did not link up well and they're likely not to link up well on the right either because Seamus Coleman uh, was ruled out today with a, with a foot injury mm. So his relationship with Theo Walcott, which has been very important, is is likely not to be a feature on Sunday as well. And when you consider that Marco Silva's game uh, predominantly resolves around build-up play on the wings, getting in behind those full-backs, that's another positive for West Ham. Alan, do you think that this is probably where we we begin to see someone like um, Bernard or Bernard... Um, <laughs> fit, fit in, fit in at Everton, and given that they're missing Richarlison, Walcott's, you know, he's got a couple of goals, but as you said, struggling to really get that link up place. I think that's when we'll see him, and even like Yerry Mean at the back, we still get to see him. I mean, they've got a couple of players to come in and, and definitely strengthen Everton's starting eleven. Yeah, I mean, Bernard, I think was however you pronounce him, was unlucky to to miss out against Huddersfield. I think he was just not quite fit enough to start. That's why Calvert-Lewin got the nod. I do think um, he may struggle to get into the team, actually, lads, because if you look at it, Sigurdsson, his set-piece delivery alone gets him in in that number 10 position. Um, we've mentioned already that Marco Silva has a Richarlison fetish, almost. He demanded that the board pay that exorbitant fee for to Watford 
for a player that didn't do anything after Christmas. And on the right, as I said already, you've got Walcott um, linking up quite well with Seamus Coleman since he uh, left Arsenal. So it might be difficult for Bernard to, to break in. He might get the nod on Sunday, as you say, just because Richarlison is, is still suspended. But I, I suspect he might stick with Dominic Calvert-Lewin just because of that headed equaliser on Sunday. Mm. Um, as for at the back, guys, I mean, Everton are decimated. I mean, you already mentioned Yerry Mina is out. Uh, Phil Jagielka is absent as well through injury. Michael Keane, of course, got that terrible skull fracture a couple of weeks ago. And they've been playing Mason Holgate and Kurt Zuma back there, uh, neither of whom are, I think, particularly good on the ball. Uh, Holgate was bullied by Huddersfield striker Steve Mounier, got too tight to him several times, creating two or three chances for, for Huddersfield on the weekend. So there's another opportunity for West Ham because we saw the way Marco Arnautovic turned Connor Cody in the second half there last week mm. for that chance that Rui Patricio saved brilliantly. So he might get some joy. I think that's certainly incentive for Arnautovic. He's the sort of player that, like mentioned with Steve Mounier, that, that enjoys bullying a defence. He's very driven and, you, you know, you, he, he will go out there and be like, I'm scoring two goals today. Whether it happens is a different thing, but he has that vision of going out there and, and yeah. imposing himself on a game. He has the ability to uh, yeah impose himself on a game and really cause issues for the opposition defence. Um, with that, when he did turn Conor Cody against uh, against Wolves, though, I mean, he really should have finished that. I mean, he, he hit it straight mm. at Patricio's face in the end. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely, you would you would expect someone like, even Hernandez if he, he were to come off the bench, you know, running in behind and I, th- uh, I if think can, if there's if one he, if he can keep himself on side for once it would be you know it's, it's, de- it's definitely you're right it's definitely that's where West Ham should really be looking at is just try and bully that defence yeah absolutely the other the, the one concern I've, I've kind of been positive so far for, for West Ham fans here because you know look what show I'm on but <laughs> <laughs> the two concerns I, I have are, are still what you've positive. mentioned already yeah that's true given you lost four in the trot and spent 90 million net to do it but no, the two concerns I have, the first one, obviously, you've touched on, which is, will Manuel Pellegrini set up in a way that makes sense? Will he deny Everton space in behind? Will he look to hit them on the counter-attack, where they are very vulnerable, by the way? And the answer is probably no, although I actually wanted to ask you guys, um, particularly James, uh, my suspicion from watching the extended highlights is that West Ham have actually sat a lot deeper in their most recent two games against Arsenal and against um, Wolves than they have in the first two games against Liverpool and Bournemouth, that they played more of a kind of reactive style, a more counter-attacking based style. Is that a misconception on my part? No, that's. I think that's that's pretty much bang on, Alan. I think... I think Pellegrini learned a lot from that Liverpool defeat early uh, on the on the opening weekend, where where we played such a high line that Liverpool just you know they they went to town, didn't they? They they really enjoyed it, and I think yeah. he learned from that a little bit and went, okay, I probably can't do that with the caliber of player I've got. And we saw at Arsenal that really that, that really looked like it was it was working. It was such a good performance against Arsenal. I think we, had had we been a lot more clinical, we would have won that game. And mm. a lot of that was you know we. we Defensively, we we were we were better. Um, I mean, that own goal from Diop was unlucky. So, I, I think I think you're right that yeah, he, he's playing a little bit more of a counter-attacking attack, counter-attack style, and I think that suits us given that the the pace that we have got in like Anderson and Arnautovic. You know, let's hope from a West Ham perspective that Pellegrini does learn from that and and, and set up in a way that will 
would hit Everton on the break. But the other concern, the second concern I mentioned is this. Believe it or not, under Marco Silva, Everton have been the fourth highest pressers in the league this season. Only Tottenham, Liverpool and Chelsea have initiated uh, defensive actions higher up the pitch than the Totties. And my concern, I don't know if you guys share it, um, James, Jack, Aaron, is that can that West Ham defence weather that kind of high pressure? I mean, we've seen how Issa Diop has played so far. You know, he, he looks like Bambi on ice at times <laughs> uh, back there. Fabian Balbuena came to the club from Brazil with a reputation from being good on, for being good on the ball. I'm not sure I've seen that yet. And my concern is, are those two players vulnerable to that high press? What do you think? I think when you're dealing with a press as well, you you need some help from your midfield, which, I mean, we've spoken about it, it for the whole season. If that midfield is going to be Jack Wilshere and Mark Noble, Jack Wilshere and Carlos Sanchez, Jack Wilshere, maybe Declan Rice, it's mm. not got the ability to offer protection and then spark something going forward. There was so much space either side of Wilshere and... Sanchez against Arsenal. Sanchez, Carlos. Yeah, no, uh, Noble, yes. Noble yeah, yeah. was injured against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. There was so much space around that midfield too. And then, like you mentioned, Diop and Balbuena are still to be tested. Balbuena against Bournemouth was so culpable for that Callum Wilson goal. Yeah, definitely. Made ma- mm. made Callum Wilson look like Lionel Messi. And Callum Wilson's a good player, but he's obviously nowhere near <laughs> being able to do that. It was just awful defending, mainly from Balbuena, but from everyone around him as well. I think if they are forced into a press, it will pay dividend for Everton because there will be more than one mistake that they can benefit from. Yeah, and let's not forget, on his second start for the club, Last weekend, Carlos Sanchez was pressed into giving away the winner for Adama Traore. Yeah, I mean, he dawdled on the ball in his own half. Fair play to Wolves for that pressing in the 93rd minute. With that that's what you've got to do. You play yeah. to the whistle, with don't that you? Intensity, you know. I mean, you see a lot of teams, 93rd minute, sort of go, okay, we'll settle for the point, but they really went for it. So, I mean, they deserved that. Mm. But San- Sanchez, I mean, she's just got to get rid of it there, isn't it, really? But, I mean, you look, you look at the body language of Nuno, their manager, and you look at the body language of Pellegrini. Obviously, they're, you know, completely different times alive, completely different people. But Nuno is just like, he's this sort of. Oozing. Oh, I don't like using that word. But he, he <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he just um, exhumes. He, the man is. Just like he's just like the Duracell bunny's cousin, you know. He's jumping around. He's energetic. Whereas Pellegrini's a lot more chilled. He's a lot more sort of you know pensive. But I I can understand. I I'd imagine if if Wolves weren't pushing for that winner late, I'd imagine he'd have gone back in the dressing room and gone, lads, what are you doing? Mm. You know, I want energy. I want passion. I want commitment. And he's got a good bunch of players there. Yeah, he certainly does, and you know we've we've touched on the the central midfielder. I think we should uh, broaden out that point as well. Obviously, Sanchez was was pressed into giving up the the winner last weekend, and Mark Noble was embarrassingly distanced by Callum Wilson for that goal that we've already discussed against Bournemouth. And uh, you know the, the combination of Noble and Wilshire has been far too immobile. Um, I'm watching a player called Immobile here, but I'm using the other pronunciation of the word Immobile. Um, in that central midfield area Uh, Sanchez and Wilshire obviously what Pellegrini is trying to achieve there is you know a natural number six in Sanchez who isn't particularly good on the ball it must be said but a player like Wilshire who is supposed to be in the old days before his injuries he could dribble away from players pressing him and move the ball up the pitch not sure he can do that anymore and one of the final questions I wanted to ask you guys is I noticed on the hour mark last week against Wolves Wilshire was out on his feet, from what I could see, 
he was replaced by Pedro Obiang for his first appearance of the season. And even though this combination probably wouldn't be particularly good on the ball and at weathering pressure, do you think that inevitably Pellegrini will move towards a central midfield duo of Sanchez and Obiang just to tighten things up? I think it would be a concern to a lot of people if that was how it was to end up. I think they're two fairly mm. similar players in that neither are... I think yeah. Obiang's better, a much better midfielder than Sanchez. I still think there's a half-decent player in Pedro Obiang. I think... I mean, he obviously wanted to leave the club. Couldn't facilitate that this summer, but I think if he's going to take his chance, then there's still a place for them in, in this side. But I think Wilshere's the one that needs to... And again, like it, like it always has with him, since his injuries, it will take time. He's on a specialist sort of schedule in terms of his training as he was at Bournemouth and, and I'm not certain but you, as you'd imagine he was at Arsenal um, and, and Pellegrini sees a lot in him he's, he's described him many many times as his, his difference maker but he's not setting him up in a team where he can be that difference maker he's asking too much of him at the moment I think where where Obiang is concerned I think a lot of fans are quite surprised that Sanchez has been given the nod over over the last couple of games over, over Obiang because Obiang is a is a for in a lot of West Ham fans eyes is a safe pair of hands in midfield um, will really put put a foot wrong and he's also part of the old guard at the club in, in a time of a lot of change and sometimes you kind of need a player like that with a little bit of stability and a safe set of hands like like Obiang is just to really settle the team where there's been a lot of change so it, it has surprised a lot of people that he's played Sanchez over him I'd like to mm. see what Obiang and um, Wilshere could do together because um, you're right I, th- I mean Sanchez I mean apart from that Wolves that Wolves thing hadn't put that much of a foot wrong but at the same time wasn't you know outstanding and really didn't didn't do enough for me to say that he deserves to stay in the team so I mean I'd like to see Pedro Obiang go in there and maybe just settle it down and bring a little bit of familiarity to to the West Ham team in a time of so much change and so much upheaval I'll tell you what Al, I, I, I just wanted to uh, get one more quick uh, question in and this is one sure. I, I put to the gents here naturally you know with, with my club I've seen you know Lou Van Hal and, and uh, Jose Mourinho come in try to emphasise their styles try to bring in their philosophies uh, somewhat mm. Um, and and let's be fair, they've been outdated. They've been very very outdated. They they've been found out, and and they've crashed and burned at the club. Do you think we're going to see something similar with Manuel Pellegrini in the sense of you know obviously he's got this sort of style, he's got this way of playing that you know won in the Premier League at Manchester City. Is is he basically just trying to recreate what he did at Man City in terms of philosophy style? Obviously we know that you know. <laughs> there's a very limited chance of West Ham United actually winning the Premier League I'd, I'd say you know um, <laughs> Just a little I, I, I don't know I'm not going to compare it to you know certain things flying and you know <laughs> you might see something else happen but do you think that the philosophy he's trying to bring in may be outdated and maybe just a little bit too much of West Ham to grasp? I, I, I would agree on the second suggestion maybe not the first I don't think his, his, his system is necessarily outdated I mean it's it's a fairly simple one in the sense that what he wants to do is be the dominant side all the time. He doesn't believe, he said this publicly when he was manager of Hebei China Fortune, Chris Coleman, the great Chris Coleman's current side, he said he said that publicly, he said, you know, I don't believe in changing for the opposition. I want to be uh, the, mo- the side with the most possession. I want to play in the opposition half. I want to get my fullbacks forward. We all remember how he set up for Villarreal and Malaga. 
He had the two wingers in a 4-4-2 coming inside. He had the full-backs going forward. He kind of has that now at West Ham, except he's playing a, a more of a 4-2-3-1. But the, the two full-backs are coming inside. The full-backs are getting forward. That's the way he wants to play. And as you say, Aaron, you know, is that always appropriate? Is it appropriate for West Ham? Maybe it will be when given some time. I mean, he signed, the club have signed an awful lot of talent. I mentioned the 90 million net spend. Uh, they should be able to adapt. But one of the biggest problems there is, and I have to repeat myself, it's that central midfield. You know, if you're going to be playing a style of football like that, that's so attack-minded, you need to have a central midfield that's capable of breaking up counter-attacks, which mm. you're going to suffer. And West Ham do not have a central midfield that's capable of guarding against counter-attacks. Nor really do they have a central midfield that's capable of dominating possession either. So it's it's a real problem. That's the one area... Whose fault is that, though? Should the, should the director of football be looked at and, and gone, should the fans be going, hey, you know, the manager wants to play a certain way. And you yeah. haven't brought in the players to do to play that a certain way. I mean, with Jack Wilshire, I think West Ham wanted that sort of... I think they wanted a good story with it. I think they wanted something positive with it in the sense of we're going to resurrect him. He's going to become a West Ham club legend. They wanted to offer him a bit of love, you know, that maybe he hadn't received in his last few years at Arsenal. But did they necessarily get the right man for the job? I don't think so. I mean, I've, I have to be honest, Aaron. I have never been a fan of Jack Wilshire. I say never. Certainly since his, his injuries. I mean, when he first broke in the scene, as I mentioned earlier, he was brilliant at progressing the ball, both by dribbling past players, pressing him, and by passing it. But he cannot do that dribbling trick anymore from in a central midfield area. And crucially, we saw it last year when he played in Arsenal's 4-3-3. He does not do anything defensively. He does not track back. Perhaps he cannot track back, Aaron. And as such, I mean, bringing him in as the one real ball-playing central midfielder that they signed, he's the only one they really signed, I think was a huge mistake. Because I, I genuinely think his best days are behind him and they're not going to return. Yeah, no, I uh, I completely agree with you. Very, very quickly before we let you go, um, Daniele has tweeted us in saying, was at West Ham versus Wolves, was shocked at how easily Wolves played balls around the corner quickly, not even looking up when passing. West Ham, on the other hand, had to look up each time. Slow, played down constantly. Is this man well um, not positionally coaching the players? Gents. Well, that's uh, actually an, an excellent point. Mm. Sorry to cut in again, guys, because but that's something we didn't touch on. Manuel Pellegrini wants... West Ham to be the dominant side. He wants to play a possession style of football in the opposition half. And what goes with that is, is pressing. And I think what, from what I've seen, they've been awful at pressing the opposition. Not organised at all. I fully agree with your texture there. Uh, if, if you look at the, uh, the statistics this year, I already mentioned that Everton are the fourth heaviest pressers. West Ham are actually the third poorest pressers behind Newcastle United, who obviously sit on their own goal line every game, and Crystal Palace, who, you know, are Roy Hodgson's side. So, like, West Ham have a manager that says he wants to be the dominant guy, the presser, the possessor, mm. and yet his side are terrible at pressing. The statistics back it up. 
There you go. Alan, you get yourself some uh, liver and bacon, mate. You've you've earned it, pal. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> us. Cheers, it's Alan. Uh, Alan O'Brien from the Tactics Truck. What a gentleman he is. Chaps, we're looking ahead to that game against Everton. Anything else you want to pick up on it? I mean, I did want to talk about um, LLDC and, you know, their sort of impending liquidation. Uh, but, mm. you know, I don't think we're going to have time for that. But, you know, looking ahead to the, uh, the next few fixtures, Everton away, Chelsea home, Man United at home, Brighton away, Spurs at home, Leicester away. They're all tough games. I mean, realistically there, you know what, how many games are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, six games. Mm. How many points are you going to get out of 18 points? I think I think we've, where we're concerned at the moment, I think it will take one result to really get our season up and running, but it's just where that result comes from. I'm convinced we'll get one out of that at least one out of that group of uh, that group of fixtures. Brighton away potentially, but as I said earlier, you know, they're pretty good at the Amex, beat Man United, which I know this season isn't that difficult. Um, but still, they got a result. Leicester potentially. I mean, they're not they're not brilliant at the moment. So uh, th- there are opportunities in that in that group of fixtures to really get a result. You know, anything can happen Chelsea at home because, as we mentioned earlier, the fans turn up for those for those big games. Um, Man United at home, as I just said, potentially, but. Everton certainly shouldn't be written off. I think e- if Everton shouldn't be written off, it, but it's. I mean, if if Arnautovic can put them on the back, can put that back four. You know, as we've discussed, we can. If you can put them on the back front, back front, back foot right. early on, then I think there's a chance there. And it's it, if they can get a goal and hold that lead away from home, having l- sacrificed two leads this season, mm. that will do them the world. That will definitely signify progress. Won't because it? going behind and coming back to win against Wimbledon really in the grand scheme of thing means nothing they're league one side yeah they're just about a league one side should be walking that it, it's a cup it's a progression mm-hmm. if they can go far in the cup that's great that that takes a lot off as long as they don't continue like this in the league if you can have a good cup run in either of them it does a lot for your season yeah but holding a lead if they go to everton get a goal hold on to it even if it's just a one nil win it shows a bit of character in the side and it shows like you said, it shows progress. It does, and you're right. We can't really write the Everton game off. I just, I just think that you know, uh, as a, as a West Ham fan that's sort of gone through these times so many times before, and you, you look at these fixtures, the the fixtures where we we never get a result, or we've got a really poor Premier League record at like Goodison Park. You know, it took us 50 years to get a win at Anfield before that season. That same season, we got a, a, a rare win at Goodison Park that first year under uh, under Billich. Billich. So it's it took a season like that to really end a lot of those. If I, if I go back to you know sort of simpler times uh, around fifteen years ago when West Ham won the Glen Road and then Trevor Brook in the season that mm-hmm. actually went down. Yeah, West Ham looked like a side who were going down in a very 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 strong league, which is true. The league was exceptionally strong then. Mm. You know, um, don't get me wrong. I think there was more distance from the top. F- three two or three teams to the balance of the league but it was still a very very strong division you had a lot of teams fighting for their survival there but West Ham looked like a team that would always do something you didn't go down um you know and and go on these crazy winless streaks where you're not scoring and you're conceding you had players that would make a difference to Canio Canute uh Jermaine Defoe was there Joe Cole Michael Carrick mm. all these players were there you know you had solid players in there who were internationals David James was in goal for West Ham United and and it just seemed like there was a bit more fight about the place yeah I mean West Ham it could be argued that West Ham have lost a little bit of that over the years um 
I think a lot of clubs in the Premier League have lost that. I think. I think so. I think. I think uh, we can talk about the stadium again. You know, but uh, do we have to? <laughs> no. What I mean is that. It's so so much so much has changed at West Ham, not just on the pitch but off it. You know, we've got a new crest. The identity's different. You know, we're in a different nah. area. <laughs> no, I'm not having that. No, no. But what, the, what the I'm saying is, what I'm saying playing. is that. So you, you said, you know, the, the 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 club's lost fight, and I think a lot of that a lot of that is true. That the club has lost. Has it fight. been gentrified, your club? Uh, to an extent, yeah. But at the same time. This is this is okay. You're smiling at me here. We, we still can't, we can't use this as an excuse anymore. You know, we have to start looking forward. And I think the club, the club put the right steps in place to start looking forward with what they did in the summer, and the investment that they made. We, I think it all just comes down to we've got to start. Winning. I mean, it sounds really stupid. We've just got to start winning football matches. But that doesn't help when you go into Goodison Park. Like I said before, we don't, I think we've won like three Premier League games there since since we since Premier League began. I we think don't, we just don't win games at Goodison Park. And I'm a big believer in those in those. Uh, I mean, what would you call it? Stats or um, whatever whatever you want to call it. Bad runs. Um, and I, I'm a big believer. I mean, as I said, it took us 50 years to get win at Anfield before we got it a few years ago. So West Ham, for some reason, have, have a real habit of going on these long runs at stadiums and never getting results. And this is why I really fear for us on Sunday against Everton. I think with the, the important thing from Everton echoed it earlier is that, that there isn't a sudden shift. If they lose that game, then Pellegrini, which I don't think you would do, but doesn't go back and then go, oh, Christ, we've got Chelsea and Manchester United next right let's rip all this up and let's just go mm. let's try this see what happens I think you want to see progress and conviction in what they're doing that something has been not changed but there have been tweaks to to allow Jack Wilshere to have a freer role to to make sure that Balbuena and Diop have got the cover they need or, or that they are your your two go-to players as a pair to ensure that Arnautovic isn't isolated or when Hernandez comes on because he's not played well but at the same time he's not had any service mm. that, that when he's there every, the other 10 players don't play against him if you like I think you want to see that so those tweaks that have developed what he's doing that, he, you want to see that there's been a recognition well, you, you want to yeah, see improvement but you, That's want, to the see main you want to see it progress. within this philosophy within this this idea of, of a new attacking football because if it works it could reposition West Ham as, a, as an exciting team to watch at the moment, they're merely, from a neutral point of view, an entertaining team to watch because you don't know what could happen every week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if you take that Arsenal game, for example, I mean, Anderson was, was probably one of the best players on the pitch. He was the best player on the pitch, the but there will the be pitch. few teams that give him that much space but, this season. But against Wolves, didn't play him in that position, played him out wide. It's like, hang on, you've just seen what you can do. Right, playing there again against a Wolves side that, you know, no one really knows much about yet. They've come to the stadium for the first time. You know, let's try and pick them off. Let's try, let's try and play, play our most dangerous and most expensive player in a position that we've already seen has ripped apart Arsenal. And he didn't, he just stuck him out wide again. And, and then, lo and behold, he was ineffective for 90 minutes. And everyone's going, what's happened to this, this great player we saw last week? So he's got to start being consistent there as well rather than just the defensive midfield he's got to be consistent in where he plays these players because I think again that, that was a that was a real oversight sort of taking our best aspects of that Arsenal defeat and changing it it'd be good to see him play as a number 10 10 there on, on Sunday and hopefully as we said with, with uh, Everton's 
defence being a little bit weak, you know, with Anderson running at them and, and on out of its running off and behind, we could get a little bit of luck out of that, but only if he plays him, plays him in the right position. And I think that's where it works on the break against Arsenal as well, so it should work. Certainly. Gents, let's get a score prediction from each of you. Everton versus West Ham, Sunday, 4 o'clock kickoff. So I've just spent the last 10 minutes going on about how we never win at Everton, so I'm going to say we're going to win 1 0. 2 1 Everton. 2 1 Everton. Thank you very much, chaps. There you go. It's your West Ham fan chat available on demand via lovesportradio.com and the Love Sport Radio app. Thanks, chaps. Thank you very Thank much. You. Sports Social Podcast Network.